Hello and welcome to the Energy Talk Podcast. My name is Olubumi Olajide and thank you for joining us again on this episode. I hope you all are staying safe and staying at home. Uh, it's getting really boring, but I hope you guys are doing your best to make the most of the situation you're in. And to help you cope with the boredom, I have quite an amazing episode for you. So today we're going to be speaking with uh, an awesome lady who is doing amazing work. Okay, I have to give a bit of a spoiler right now because the event we talk about, Capsule, has been affected a bit by the uh, coronavirus outbreak. So it's been turned into a virtual event and you get the rest of the uh, details about the event in the descriptions and throughout the conversation. So I hope you enjoyed this and I look forward to hearing feedback. Yeah, of course. Um, so my name is Sanjana Paul. Uh, so I kind of do two main things. Uh, one is that I am uh, the co-founder and the executive director of this organization called EarthHacks. Uh, and at EarthHacks, we work with uh, university students to basically create environmental hackathons. So an environmental hackathon is just like a traditional hackathon, you know, a programming competition typically hosted by and um, by students and typically students participate in it. But instead of giving our students uh, programming or technical challenges, we give them environmental challenges. And so, you know, these solutions can take uh, the appearance of a typical hackathon solution like uh, an app, a data visualization or a website. Uh, but it can also be other stuff like uh, public policy plans or business ideas and things like that. Um, and then the other thing I do is that I work as an atmospheric science software engineer um, at NASA's Langley Research Center uh, and get to work with really, really interesting problems sort of at the intersection of uh, climate and uh, data and the future, honestly. So it's really interesting. Okay. Uh, so I'm actually curious. So uh, what was the motivation behind EarthHacks? How did that come around? Yeah. So actually, my... Um, my background is I studied electrical engineering and physics when I was an undergrad. And so, you know, being an electrical engineering student, uh, you know, we, we kind of learned to code in uh, some languages and I wanted to learn other languages. <laughs> and so I used to go to hackathons, you know, because I wanted to, to do all the typical hackathon stuff. I wanted to, you know, stay up late with my friends. I wanted to learn new skills. I wanted to compete for cool prizes, stuff like that. Uh, you know, and so as I started going to these hackathons, I just kept coming away like really disappointed uh, just because of the the types of problems that they offered. You know, it would be like you walk in and there's all of these like nerds everywhere, geniuses who are coming in with like carrying their own like monitors and keyboards directly to their specifications and stuff like that. And the the challenges that are given to these people are just like, you know, create another dog walking app. Or like create a chat bot for our FAQ section on our website and not not even like a chat bot to make the website more accessible to populations because that would be awesome. But just just a, a chat bot, you know, for so that people don't have to read the FAQ section. And so, you know, I was I was sitting there, various hackathons, looking at these challenges, feeling just so unmotivated and just questioning everything like, great, this is what engineers do. Why did I become an engineer? Um, you know, and I would. <laughs> and so then I, I just kept thinking about it and I was like, well, hackathons are this this really time intensive format. Right. Typically, they take place over the course of a weekend, uh, you know, a day, a few days. And it's just like really intensive problem solving sprints. So why? Just why aren't we applying this really, really time intensive format to like the singular most time sensitive issue that we have perhaps ever faced, which is global climate change? 
And so, you know, this idea just sort of kept sitting around in my head. And eventually I gave uh, sort of a more, I guess, condensed, coherent version of, of the thing that I just said to you guys, uh, to my boss at the time where I was interning. And he just kind of looked at me and he was like, well, you seem to have it all figured out. So why, why don't you just go for it and, and do that? And I was like, that's a good point. And so, so I did. So that's how Rapex started. Okay, that's 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 such a wonderful story. So now now I'm curious. So how long has Earthhacks been going now? So Earthhacks, this sort of idea and this really nebulous phase of a lot of flotsam and jetsam that was happening around the summer of 2017. Um, and then by the time I had, you know, bullied some of my friends into joining me and kind of starting to support, <laughs> gently, bullied them gently, you know, but that's what you have to do with your friends. Uh, to start this with me, it was 2018. So we had our first event uh, in the spring of 2018. Um, uh, it was originally Earth Hacks was just intended to just be sort of this one-off environmental hackathon, you know, because I, I wasn't sitting there angry about how there was no nonprofit organization who was doing this. I was angry that there was no hackathon that was happening to do this. Uh, but then people started to reach out to us after our first hackathon in March 2018 saying, hey, can, can we have this at our school? Uh, or, you know, can you give us some, some tips on how to make our hackathon more environmentally friendly and stuff like that? And so sort of in response to that demand, we, uh, we started... Um, you know, coming together as more of an organization. And so we became a nonprofit organization in December 2018. So we've been in operation for just over a year now. Okay. And you mentioned you avoided some of the problems you had to deal with in regular hackathons. So what, what has been the most exciting or challenging uh, problem you've had to solve in one of your hackathon events that you've had so far? Oh my goodness. Okay. That. So that's, that's a really interesting question because, you know, environmental problems are everyone's problems, right? And, and that means mm -hmm. that environmental problems are multifaceted. They're nuanced. They spread virtually every discipline, subject, whatever you'd like to call it, we have in existence on the planet today. So I think kind of some of the most exciting ones are perhaps the ones that like even I wasn't sure how people were going to come up with solutions for, uh, that people ended up coming up with interesting solutions for. So for example, we had um, a track. So so we uh, you know have sort of categories of challenges that we presented our ha hackathons called tracks. And then each of those have like individual challenges within them. So we had an invasive species track because that's kind of a problem that's being exacerbated by some effects of climate change. And one of those challenges uh, in the invasive species track was looking at the rapid rise of this um, fungus uh, that was affecting um, this tree that's native to Hawaii uh, called the ohia tree. And so the fungus was called uh, the rod fungus, uh, which stands for rapid ohia death. So very, very creative over there, fungus. And, you know, so we, we just uh, posed a problem like, you know, how can we sort of predict where these outbreaks are going to happen? Or how can we sort of figure out what populations are more susceptible to this uh, outbreak and, you know, where and when and why and how? Um, because that wasn't really well established at the time. And so I thought that we were not going to get any submissions in that category because it was too vague. It was too challenging. You know, it's dealing with like biology and invasive species and like fungi and how many people who come to a hackathon are going to want to deal with that. And then we had a team consisting of a chemical engineer, a biology student and a graphic designer who found a correlation between soil pH and the likelihood of a fungal outbreak occurring in a certain region. And like, it was absolutely insane because to me, it seemed like they just created this project out of nothingness, like in this 
pool of sort of uncertainty and like fear about a fungal outbreak, they had produced this really interesting possibility that might help us understand and control it. And so we put them in touch actually with some folks who were working on the problem at one of the universities in Hawaii. So um, that was, I think, uh, you know, all of the project submissions that we've seen have been absolutely amazing, but that's, that's one that I um, still think about. Oh, wow. That is, that is quite a story. Right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm quite joking. Right. You just, I'm sitting, you can't see me. I'm just sitting here nodding. I'm thinking about them. They did such a great job. <laughs> <laughs> now, I can see why you were, you were a bit disappointed about all this wasted potential, thinking about things that are not so important in the first place. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad it's not just me because that was kind of, as I'm sure you know, you know, starting your own initiative, it's really nice to see there are people other than yourself who agree with you on some of these things and that you're not the only person yeah. who, uh, you know, sees a need for this or sees that this is important or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's actually something I want to talk about. It's another part of you, if you will. It's yeah. uh, at your, your work at NASA. So uh, is it something you've always wanted to do and uh, how has that been so far? Yeah, I mean, I guess what like small nerdy child doesn't want to work at NASA is kind of the real question. And I always very much was that description, small nerdy child. Um, you know, I wanted to be every kind of scientist before I became an engineer. So I don't know how many, um, you know, eight-year-olds can say they had a neuroscience phase and a geology phase, but I did. And then I ended up, <laughs> and then I ended up in electrical engineering. And then I discovered that like, you know, Lasers, uh, electrical engineers and physicists in particular get to shoot lasers around, which is perhaps one of the coolest job descriptions ever. Uh, then I discovered, you know, we can shoot lasers around to sort of read the pulse of the atmosphere, figure out what's happening in the sky above us, you know, which was the, the, the most insanely cool thing I'd ever heard. And so I kind of got into uh, spectroscopy and that one thing uh, led to another. And then I ended up um, working with the Calypso team at NASA, which is like the first satellite in the history of humanity that can take the vertical column of the atmosphere from the bottom to the top and just tell us what's happening there. Uh, I got to work with them. And then I uh, that was an internship. And then I, I told my mentor very eloquently uh, on the last day of my internship that I didn't want to leave. Um, and, and so I got, I was very, very fortunate and I was able to come back full time. And now I do more stuff with, um, you know, looking at data that's been obtained by shooting lasers around in the atmosphere. So it's absolutely wonderful. And I'm super lucky that I get to do, um, I have two jobs and they're both kind of my dream jobs. So it's, it's like, that's a really rare occurrence. And so I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Okay. I, ha I have to backtrack quite a bit here because I realized I didn't ask this. So what was your first, uh, what, what initially picked your interest into concerns about uh, environmental concerns or just about the climate in general? Because, uh, so I, I just want you to answer this. What was it initially that kind of like got you interested and really got you active in the space? That's a really good question. And I think that the answer kind of changes every time because there's not just a single sort of defining moment. There were certainly moments where like I experienced a lot of growth in sort of the area or like a, a very pressing urge to, to continue working. But I think that it was just kind of um, panic um, about kind of what was happening uh, to the planet, the short time scale in which we had changed uh, and are changing a lot of the... Um, you know, things that have been happening, the processes that have been happening for um, timescales that we can't even comprehend. Um, and just sort of looking at the the trajectories that were in our very near future, you know, people keep talking um, about, you know, the effects that climate change will have on future generations, but that's not really 
the entire case that we we need to be looking at the effects that climate change will have on like our generations like this is our lifetime you know and i uh you know i wanted to be like this cool old lady kind of kicking it doing stuff maybe you know growing my own vegetables or something and i uh, you know every everyone deserves a shot at just having like a you know a really cool decent life and i just didn't think that that was possible with sort of the scale of climate change and the injustice of who it's affecting with respect to who actually caused most of the damage and so i would like stay up nights thinking about it you know i would be doing literally i would be like doing my homework and getting distracted thinking about this and then reminding myself that I'm studying this so that I can create solutions to this problem. But it just became sort of all consuming. The more and more I learned about it, the more and more I had to learn about it. And the more I got worried, it's like some sort of weird cult. Um, And so that was really it. I passed, I think, a certain tipping point. And I was just like, this is the one issue that relates to every single other issue in the world today. So if I care about anything, I have to care about this so that I can kind of care about everything. So that was very meta, but that's that's kind of the answer is just that I couldn't ignore it. Okay. So something that kind of like no pun intended encapsulates is all the work hey. you've done so far and kind of led up to a project that you and your team are working on. So uh it's called the Capsule Project. Yes. And you guys are attempting to break a world record. So I would like you to tell the listeners a little bit about what this project is about and what exactly you hope to achieve with it. Definitely. So that was, first of all, a great pun. Uh, I can't believe we haven't been using that in our marketing. I'm very appreciative of good puns. And so I know what we're doing at our next weekly meeting. Um, But basically, basically Capsule. So, you know, we teamed up, uh, EarthHacks teamed up with a couple of other organizations who we've been very lucky uh, to work with before um, called Tech Together and Experimental Civics. One is a a nonprofit organization like us and the other is sort of an innovation consultancy. Um, And we just kind of decided last year that we should totally put on the world's largest environmental hackathon and also break a world record. And so, uh, you know, we really decided to do this, one, because, you know, us being an organization dedicated to environmental hackathons we really want to show on a large scale that hackathons can be a viable means of climate action and also to kind of show people that they don't really have an excuse to not take climate action because if hackathons, which are the one thing that I think most people do not associate with environmental activism at all, some of the conversations we've had to explain what an environmental hackathon are are fascinating, um, you know, show people that they don't have an excuse that, uh, you know, if we if we can do it, if we can put on this large scale event and get people from from all walks of life to attend, to learn more about the scope and scale of environmental problems, to speak with subject matter experts and start developing their solutions to be incubated over a few months before they, you know, take whatever shape they take. Uh, you you don't have an excuse not to do anything. And then the other thing is is really just, you know, going after the world record with this event, um, you know, is, is to put it more into the public eye and to maybe make it interesting for people who, you know, are um, unable to engage in other ways and just really open the door for more people to get involved. Mm, okay. So uh, now let's talk about the role of technology and especially what you guys are trying to do with hackathons. You mentioned mm-hmm. that you find that many people find an excuse that, okay, uh, you can't exactly find a, a way where you can be actively engaged. Let's say you don't want to go out for protest, okay, whatever your reasons are. Right. And so how do you how do you feel technology has a large role to play in the energy transition and especially what you're, what you're trying to do with capsules 
Yeah. So I think, I mean, you know, technology is inextricable sort of from the energy transition. It's very dependent. They're, you know, they feed off of each other. And I think that sort of looking at environmental hackathons as a vehicle for this, you know, environmental hackathons, first and foremost, at sort of the baseline um, is their environmental education events, right? Similar to how hackathons are programming education events. So, you know, the first, the first thing is sort of if we achieve absolutely no other impact with a hackathon, which has not happened. Um, but if we, you know, even achieved nothing else with a hackathon, people leave the event knowing a lot more than they did when they came into the event, whether that's about sort of, you know, the role that um, environmental justice has to play in uh, urban planning with respect to energy distribution or anything else. Um, so, you know, it's um, the hackathons can take many, many different roles, I think, whether it's capsule or whether it's another environmental hackathon or whether it's even a traditional hackathon that's looking to integrate sort of more environmental practices into their work. Um, you know, it, it could be hands on projects uh, where, you know, workshops are done on sort of looking at how we distribute energy or maybe the role that some new technologies have to play in energy distribution. You know, I think that big data, AI and machine learning are going to kind of fundamentally change the amount of capability that we have to create a flexible distributed grid system. Um, or it could just be increasing energy literacy. You know, a lot of people might not know where their energy comes from, why that's bad, who it hurts, what its role is, uh, how, how it plays out in the context of other things. Um, or it could be stuff like uh, focusing on centering environmental justice and equity in the, just, uh, in, the, in the energy transition, which perhaps folks from a more technical background, such as mine, electrical engineering, have literally never been exposed to before. So I think that it takes many, many different shapes and forms, and it can sort of be adjusted depending on the audience that's interfacing with it, which is a really great thing. Hmm. Um, so in the first few hackathons you guys organized, did you find it difficult for people to kind of integrate the previous skills into more uh, environmental focused projects? Did they find it as something challenging or people just pick up, pick up at it right away? Did you have to kind of convince some people or how was the early adoption to the project? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was definitely a mixed response. Some people came in and were just like, okay, you know what we're doing? We are going to visualize like how different e-waste is recycled in different parts of this one particular town. And like no one, you know, gave them any uh, direction on it. They just knew. Or, you know, we've had other teams who kind of have a general area that they think that they want to solve because it sounds interesting to them, uh, but they don't know enough about it to actually dive right in and start creating, which is where hackathons as an educational space is really useful because we have, you know, subject matter experts present who can kind of talk with them, guide and shape their ideas and give them resources so that they can pursue their research. Um, and then we have people who show up and just have like absolutely no idea what to do. They don't, um, you know, they come in either by themselves or uh, with their friends. They might not know like who they should have on their team. They might not know what area they're interested in. They might not know what problems they want to solve. And all of those things are very, very typical of like any, I think, university student event that you will have. And so, um, you know, the good part about kind of doing uh, this as an organization is that we can speak with our student leaders and kind of uh, give them guidance on how to guide their participants so that they can have a productive experience, whether that's, you know, um, 
workshops and like icebreaker activities so that people can form teams or whether that's one-on-one sessions with like mentors who are subject matter experts um, or whether it's just, you know, kind of peer pressure and going, pick a project, just pick a project. It'll be super fun, (laughs) which has happened. You know, people have come in and they're just like, I don't know what to do. And someone's like, do this. And then they do it and then they end up winning, you know? So it's, it's very much a mixed bag. And that's the, the interesting uh, part of these events that really keeps you on your toes is that you're never going to have a homogenous population of people who walk in like ready to just complete projects it's going to be very much a case of of building the plane while you're flying it or you know building the solar panel while you're (laughs) while you're waiting for it to produce energy whatever metaphor you'd like to use so it's 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 never a dull moment never a dull moment okay uh so since since you're dealing with lots of young people on this and lots of uh uh nerds let's just let's just uh, <laughs> let's use that word so uh how do you how do you start the the dialogue with them how do you communicate communicate with them the projects that they're doing kind of like just a, an early pep talk to kind of like get them motivated and to see the importance because many times sometimes you would expect people to be on the same page when it comes to things like okay uh pro- we should probably take care of the earth because it's probably it's it's probably a good idea. But you'd re- you'd find that many people don't really see the importance, and right. it's a lot different from the part of the world where I'm from. Uh, we have right. a lot of other problems uh, back in uh, Sub-Saharan Africa and some other parts of South Asia. But uh, in developed countries, you, you wouldn't really expect responses like that. So how how have you uh, kind of nurtured young people to kind of guide them a little bit into the space and make them understand a bit of the importance of the work that you're trying to do? I think definitely just by absolute and complete immersion, you know, when you walk into an environmental hackathon, there's really no space to to try and start fights about whether or not climate change exists. <laughs> there's there's a space to to ask detailed questions about how we know climate change exists because we should never, you know, be putting down the folks who are genuinely trying to learn more about this. Um, but I think that just by really tossing these uh, tossing these students into a space where we start out with, you know, people uh, speaking at the beginning of the hackathon, you know, and these are either people from the communities who have been directly affected or people who have expertise in working in environmental areas, talking about the specifics of their work, or just really anyone who has a compelling story uh, pertaining to climate change who wants to showcase it, um, you know, and then presenting these well-researched, organized problems that are all real world examples. So we started out by doing kind of hypothetical um, examples, which was a lot of fun. But, you know, in terms of creating a better educational experience and in terms of creating more uh, concrete outcomes, we wanted to use real use cases. So just stacking like continued mounds of evidence in front of them and asking them to get in there and engage and do their research to back up their assumptions and do their research to back up their projects and giving them sort of a piece of the puzzle and letting them create a project that they can call their own, I think really changes their perspective on it because they're forced to engage with it. So we had... um, Uh, During one of our first events, I remember the day after our hackathon, uh, this biomedical engineering student came up to me um, and he said, I'm really mad at you. And I just kind of jumped back and flinched and I was like, what did I do? Um, And and so I was just like, okay, well, why, you know, can you explain? And so he, he told me that, you know, I stayed up all night thinking about solar resource distribution in the United States. I have never done that before because I did not care. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, so are you mad at me because you're like cranky because you didn't sleep? And he's like, no, I'm, I'm mad at you because you made me care. And like now I can't stop caring. 
And I was like, well, that's good. And, <laughs> you know, and so, so I think that he was a bit cranky from the sleep deprivation. But, you know, it's, it's kind of moments like that where people who are in positions to actually be able to help, you know, like you said, in more developed countries, where kind of just, you know, people are able uh, in, in uh, these environments where people are able to attend these um, higher education institutions and are able to work on projects like this. Again, there's really no excuse why we shouldn't. And so being able to sort of change that attitude by doing stuff like this uh, is, I think, really, really helpful. And investing in students um, is you know, to go back to sort of that future generations line that people like to throw out. Well, we are the generation that's going to be entering the workforce and we're the generation that's going to be making these decisions that affect, you know, uh, the energy transition along with a lot of other environmental issues. And so being able to change attitudes and uh, make them realize the importance of these things as they enter those decision-making roles is, I think, really important. Huh. That's very well said. And and going back to what you said much, much earlier about this is um, sometimes people see it as a problem that's that's really far away. And I right. think once you really once you really get immersed into it, it's something it's, it becomes very difficult to stop caring about because once you actually see that, oh, OK, this this is a real world situation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where the, the example you gave earlier with the invasive species problem, right. that is a clear and obvious problem. And right. they can see that it's been accelerated due to climate change. So it, it becomes really difficult to unthink it once exactly. you started thinking about it. Exactly. And that's and that's really the the big thing for me. It's like once people really get stuck in and i think that's 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 some of the problem with the message and it's like people see it as a future problem the future generation and i think that mm -hmm. that, that, that that's pretty much a messaging problem right but yeah so that's why I, re I really love what you guys are doing putting the problems clear and immediate and i would actually love if you guys could share some of the results because that the, the story you told was quite amazing and honestly i i i hope we could get more of that in the future Thank you so much. No, me too. That's the, <laughs> me too. That's very much the, the whole goal of having this organization is, again, you know, the same thing with like learning about, you know, climate change and learning about environmental and earth science. It's once you start learning, you kind of can't stop learning. You get sucked into this feedback loop. And so we very much do want to be able to, you know, pull more people gently, lovingly, in a welcoming way into this feedback loop of environmental innovation. And so with regards to, um, you know, sharing projects and everything, one of the uh, main things that we're doing as an organization is we are creating uh, sort of a database of everything that's been worked on and submitted at Earth Hacks events. Um, so to add, you know, yet another layer of immersion and evidence to students' experiences, they can go onto our website and they can browse previous projects that people have created and actually see what happens at these events so that, you know, if they're completely stuck or if they're not sold on it, it's just too out there for them, they can really see these concepts that'll sort of bring them back to earth, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay so now for the listeners who are they're, they're completely sold on everything you said they're, they're excited and they're wondering uh when is the capsule project and how can they get involved or support the program when it starts up Absolutely. So Capsule is taking place June 20th and 21st, 2020 this year. It's coming up, you guys. Uh, it's happening in Austin, uh, Texas at the Travis County Expo Center. Um, and you can sign up. You can follow us on social media. You can get involved with the project beforehand through that uh, by going to the Capsule website at www.capsulehack. So 
capsule and then the word hack, all in one word, uh, .io. Uh, and on there, there's information about the types of challenges that we're going to be tackling, um, community partners who are doing wonderful work, who are trying to pull into the event so that they can share their knowledge, um, you know, other ways that you can get involved and registration information. Um, and then if you're interested in learning more about EarthHacks events happening at universities and how you can support those, visit our website at earthhacks.io. Uh, you can follow us on social media at earthhacks.org on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you know, for all any and all of these uh, initiatives and events, I just said, okay, any and all, capsule and EarthHacks. Um, but for any of these events, you know, if you don't see one that's happening in your region, like, please just reach out to us because we... Uh, really try to center the people who are doing the work um, in our process. So EarthHacks, you know, we just provide back-end support to students. So we don't really show up on a college campus and just be like, all right, who wants to do a whole bunch of work for us? You know, we, <laughs> we show up after a student has reached out to us or sent us, you know, 100 messages on our website or called us or whatever it is and said that like, listen, I need to have an environmental hackathon. We're like, okay, 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 calm down, we're coming. Um, you know, so if, if you're interested, just reach out to us and we'd be more than happy to kind of see if we can work with you in some way. Okay, so all the information for this, in case you couldn't keep track, will be in the in the in the show notes of this episode. Uh, it's been it's been wonderful having this conversation, and uh, it's 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 great to speak with someone who is passionate about the work they do, and is actively trying to make a difference. Because I think uh, we need solutions, and <laughs> that I think that's yeah. that's the stage we are. Uh, we we it's it's okay to talk about things, but when it comes down to what we really need is solutions because as we all know time is not on our side so thank you so much for this conversation sanjana i really love what you guys are doing and i wish you all the best in your project and i'll be following along hopefully we can get an update once it's done but yep. we'll, we'll we'll catch up about that sometime later Definitely. Thank you so much, Olu. This has been awesome. And, you know, I've been uh, not in a creepy way, but listening to like all the episodes of the energy talk and everything. And I, you know, everything you said to me right back at you. I'm so glad that, um, you know, people exist who are so interested in doing something that they straight up just just go and do it and are able to, to pull other people into it and create these really wonderful, meaningful conversations. So it's been awesome I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you do want to reach out to Sanjana or the rest of the HearthAx team, you can do that. They're really nice people and they'll be very happy to hear from you if you have any ideas or any challenges that you want them to include in their next hackathon or if you have any suggestions or if you just want to talk with them and collaborate on future projects. Uh, I really encourage it and they're doing really amazing work and I hope you all uh, stay safe and make the most out of the situation you're in. Uh, it's very easy to get bogged down by the, everything else that's out of your control, but uh, think positive as cliche as that sounds. Uh, there's always going to be another day, and in a few years, you're going to wish you made the most out of the time you had right now. So uh, rest if you're tired, but don't stop moving forward, and we will see you on the next episode of The Energy Talk. Have a wonderful day.